Well, I believe that every American willing to work hard should be able to get a job no matter where they are, in the heartland, in small towns, in every part of this country, to raise their kids on a good paycheck and keep their roots where they grew up. That's Bidenomics. Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. And this is our weekly roundup, where we invite a rotating panel of experts to discuss the truth you need to know behind the most important stories of the week and how they're shaping the political landscape. On today's incredible panel returning to the roundup is our highly sought after crisis communications consultant, political strategist, and MSNBC political analyst, Susan Del Percio. How are you doing this morning, Susan? Oh, all is good. Great to be here, Ron. Also returning to the roundup is the one and only Liz Gilbert Cohen. Liz is a political and government affairs specialist based in Park City, Utah. She's a former executive director of the New Jersey Democratic Party, an alum of Governor Phil Murphy's 2017 campaign, and she's worked on the past three DNC national conventions, most recently as president of the 2020 DNC. Liz, good to see you again. Welcome back. Great to be with you, Ron. Returning to politicology is Zach Joukowsky. Zach is a Democratic political consultant from North Carolina. He's a principal at Title Fight and the founder and CEO of Brackish Solutions. Previously, he has served as the campaign manager for Katie Hill's successful congressional campaign, flipping a seat from red to blue, and as the political director of the Lincoln Project. Zach, welcome back. How are you doing? Ron, thanks so much for having me and excited to be here with all y'all. Up first this week, we are going to discuss Joe Biden's push to convince the public that the economy is indeed in good shape and that Bidenomics is working. Then we're going to look at Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s run for president. Next, we'll discuss Liz Cheney's remark that we are electing idiots and the members of Congress proving her right. Finally, for our Politicology Plus subscribers, we're going to discuss Canada's new law requiring social media companies to pay licensing fees for news stories shared on the platform and the potential for that to happen in the United States. To get ad-free access to the show, plus many more special episodes on a private podcast feed, head on over to politicology.com slash plus or click the link at the top of today's show notes. We'll dig in right after this. On Wednesday... President Biden gave a major address on the economy in Chicago and kicked off his messaging campaign on Bidenomics. According to reporting from Politico, the president's team is looking to go all in on a campaign to claim credit for the post-pandemic economy, and they're making the push to convince the public that the economy is, in fact, in good shape. They're also making a very risky bet that the bottom won't fall out before November of 2024. So throughout his presidency, Biden has often talked about growing the economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. And he spoke about it again on Wednesday. And here's part of how he framed what he's calling Bidenomics. Bidenomics is about the future. Bidenomics, just another way of saying, restore the American dream because it worked before. It's rooted in what we've always worked best at in this country, investing in America, investing in Americans. Because when we invest in our people, we strengthen the middle class, we see the economy grow, that benefits all Americans. That's the American dream. 40 years of trickle-down limited that dream, for those, except for those at the top. Too many for too long have seemingly suggested that it's only available if you have a four-year college degree. You can work at a teacher or work at a tech center. These new Factories are opening, these fabs are opening for semiconductors. Without a college degree, you're going to make $100,000 to $130,000 a year working those fabs. $100,000 to $130,000 a year. 
Well, I believe that every American willing to work hard should be able to get a job no matter where they are in the heartland, in small towns, in every part of this country, to raise their kids on a good paycheck and keep their roots where they grew up. That's Bidenomics. That's Bidenomics. So the Biden administration has been touting their public investments through the infrastructure bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the CHIPS Act. And all of this comes amid a lot of public and even professional skepticism about the economy. In an SSRS-CNN poll in May, Two-thirds of Americans disapproved of how Biden has handled the economy. Just over three-quarters said the economy is in bad shape. And as I noted last week, one of the more widely monitored predictors of recession currently forecasts out to May of 2024. And just to give you an idea, this predictor in August of 2020 during the peak of the COVID crisis was sitting at about 37 to 38% probability of U.S. recession. That was the highest it's been in the last four years. Looking out to May of the election year next year, that number is sitting at 71% and rising. That's probability of recession. This is based on data provided by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Fortune magazine just two weeks ago ran a headline saying, Deutsche Bank's top minds put U.S. recession chance at near 100%. So the question here, Susan, I'll start with you, is what is Biden trying to do and who is he trying to reach with this messaging? I don't know. (laughs) Still not sure. Uh, But seriously, here's what I think the issue is. Politically, you know it's a losing battle. When people don't feel safe, don't tell them crime is low and give them statistics. They either feel safe or they don't feel safe. When the economy, which is pretty stable right now, is, is fairly decent and moving in the right direction, don't tell people you're doing great if they say, I don't feel so great which is really important, which is why the messaging, while you know Biden said one thing right, it should be about looking towards the future. Bidenomics, Biden is very unpopular, even within, with the Democratic base as well. And it's a throwback to the, to the 80s and people are already concerned about his age. Why are you using such a dated phrase, if you will, if people are worried about your age? He sounds... It, it's a disconnect. And plus, it just doesn't sound good. Bidenomics. Did I say it right? I don't know. But <laughs> apparently he had a problem even getting it right at some point. So I, th- I I applaud him for doing the right thing as far as trying to get the messaging right on on the economy and especially on chips. But he should it should be on chips and infrastructure. Keep it simple. Mm, yeah. You know, it should uh, be middle class now, if you will. Middle class now. I mean, that's a that's a great message. Naming something like this after yourself is uh, it's it's just it's very risky. Um, it's a bet that could really pay off. It's possible, but the indicators, you know, don't 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 look that way. Echoing what you just said, there was a Democratic strategist uh, quoted in Politico that said, "Bidenomics sounds like bad math." Uh, quote. Bidenomics sounds like this is a Democratic strategist uh, who they say was granted anonymity to speak freely. Uh, Bidenomics sounds like when my parents tell me something costs two dollars and it's twenty dollars, <laughs> and and so uh, I just yeah, Liz, I wonder what you think about this and what how the what the risk of appearing out of touch is when his team is trying to convince such a wide portion of the public that the economy is in better shape than they think it is. Well, I would say first of all, I. I agree with Susan's comments and the quote that you just shared from the strategist in the times. I mean, that had me cracking up because it sounds 
Totally true, um, honestly. And it's someone on the same side. So if you can't even get all of your own party's strategists and loyalists, you know, to be bolstering this messaging behind you, that's cause for concern, number one. Um, I'll tell you, when I first looked at the event as somebody who, you know, has done advance work and event work and all of that, I mean, they have him coming out with hail to, you know, to hail to the chief, which he doesn't always do, but does when it's really, you know, official and touting, you know, this is the man who sits behind the Resolute Desk. And, you know, the entire frame was filled with American flags. I mean, they really wanted to give him that super presidential moment. And I'm just not sure yet how how that's going to land. I think Susan's points are really spot on, but I do think it's something to watch. I just, I don't know yet how how his verbiage is going to resonate because I do think while he gave a few specific examples, it really was like 30,000 foot view. Like I'm telling you the economy is great. Like let's, you know, it was similar to State of the Union with let's finish the job. Let's keep going. And if people at home, again, to Susan's point, aren't feeling like they want to keep going with the same, he's not offering anything new or different or something to look forward to. It's it's ba- looking backwards. It's recapping instead of saying like, here's what you can continue to expect. I mean, he had a few of those lines, but I think not as many as it would have been helpful for people to say like, this is something that I want to sign on to again for another campaign. People should have left that speech being like, that is my guy. And I don't know that they landed the plane on that. Yeah. Zach, what's your take on all of this? And I also want to put one other... Uh, quote here on the table. This is also from Politico, but it's a um, a Democratic national political consultant familiar with the campaign strategy, also anonymous, but goes like this. There's going to be billions of dollars spent laying out what Joe Biden has done. All these things are incredibly popular, but people don't really know about them. Now, this is a well-worn idea that I have heard from lots of Democrats, which is essentially goes like this. If people only knew about all the great stuff we'd done for them, they'd vote for us. and a lot of strategists think that's a trap. How do, you, how do you read that strategy? I think a question that you know, people who work in politics have to ask a lot of the time is, do you want to be right or do you want to get your way? And so let's assume they're right. You know, it's a compelling package. There's some great stuff in there. Um, but the way they're presenting it, they're not going to get their way, uh, even if they are right. And I think the issue, it's not necessarily the message. It's not necessarily the, the content. The issue is the messenger. Like, we all have eyes. We all have ears. He looks really old. He sounds really old. And that's an issue. That's the number one thing associated with Biden. And so unless they can Benjamin button him, it's going to continue to be an issue in my mind. Susan's chuckling. Uh, Liz is nodding. Um, that was a good one. Um, <laughs> Susan, what then? How, go ahead, Liz. Yeah. You know, the quote you gave um, or shared about the strategist who talked about the billion dollars that was going to be spent on this messaging that's not a fake number. I mean, that is the campaign goal, right? They need to raise billions of dollars. And it's not because, you know, it's a travel budget and he's going all over the place or the rallies have very expensive signs. That money has to go toward messaging and that's where it's going to be spent. And so that was why I was saying like, I'm curious to see how that speech lands because I don't think we've seen what they are calling, you know, their full rollout yet. Is there going to be a digital component, a Gen Z component? Are we targeting the African-American community with this in some way? So I think that will be the really interesting uh, kind of watch this space kind of effort because we need to see where the money is going to be spent to take what was an okay speech uh, in Chicago and to take that content and and 
do something with it. Yeah. Susan, how do you feel about the message versus the messenger here? And how closely are those two things linked, as Zach said? It's really interesting. I was having a conversation with a family member and it was, and I asked, I said, like, if it's Trump or Biden, who would you vote for? Republican who voted for Biden in 2020. But I've been hearing a lot of Republicans getting really anti-Biden lately. Like that seems to be in the air, if you will. And she's like, I just don't see leadership from him. And I started rattling off some of the packages. That's true. That's true. And then I said, and Ukraine, what he's done for us on the world stage. And the driver piped in, Ukraine, Biden will always have me for Ukraine. But it's like people have to think about these achievements. So what I I think this campaign is looking, should start to look like is Dealing, getting as much as Biden out there as they can get away with, meaning very little, and really supporting and making every state now a state about abortion rights, because it is no longer a federal issue. It is a state issue. They should be going deep into the swing states on this and letting it rise up, because I think that is the issue that carries Biden and and helps the Democrats. As a matter of fact, it's the only issue I know that can keep Senator Mitch McConnell the minority leader. And that map is really tough for the Senate. But it's, it is, I think that really will play out well. And they can't put Biden out there too much, but they can't not show him enough because he, then he gets, so it's a very hard balance. Because like Liz said, like seeing him at the event it is a different, you know, thank goodness that people don't all turn into the events anymore like they used to. <laughs> I mean, that's a benefit because they're hard to do. So I give, it, it's, it's a really tough balance, but they've got to change. I, Biden should do what he has to do on the economy, be as good as he can on it and, and let people talk about abortion rights. You know, this makes me think about how, you know, perception shapes reality when it comes to the economy because most people are not economists. They have very they have a lot of difficulty interpreting what how the economy is actually doing. And it's one of those things where you you kind of have to say it's great even when it's not. This is you know, when when Chairman Powell for example just testified before Congress uh, last week the week before and he said the state of the banking system is strong, it's really not. But he's got to say that. Right. Otherwise, like you, otherwise right. you run the risk of a bank run and right. it does oh collapse, my God. right? But, but right. he's got to say it. Um and so I wonder if this is sort of something similar playing out, convince well, people that the economy is great. Go ahead, Liz. Well, no, I and and I am not, you know, the most versed on every single policy detail. I don't know if any of my colleagues here today are and would want to jump in, but just to your point, Ron, about just needing to say something, I want to be very clear as both a Democrat and, you know, a Biden supporter, though I'll be, you know, often a critic as as needed. Um, you know, I I do think that there is some there there. Like yeah. he does have stuff to talk about. I think okay. what what we are saying here is like the way you are doing it, who is saying it, what is the impact? So there is something there. But yeah, I mean, these social issues are what are what carry elections these the, days. The issue, I couldn't agree with Liz more. The issues are, you know, his record is there, except he can't deliver. It's not, it is the, it is Zach, what Zach said too. It is the messenger. He can't be the one to do it. And yet he can't look like he's hiding. You know, and there, there is some really great stuff in there, like, you know, the crackdown on junk fees, like expanding broadband and internet access. These are great things. Um, 
And so there, there's encouraging stuff in there. And yet people on average in the United States still trust the Republican Party more than the Democratic Party on the economy. So maybe they're trying to take a Republican strength and turn it into a weakness. But, you know, <laughs> they're fighting against a whole lot of history. Uh, and maybe that perception is on is on inaccurate today, but it still exists. And we're silly to pretend like it doesn't. Yeah, I would argue it's not valid anymore, for sure. Today's Republican Party? Anyway. Totally. Okay, let's talk about RFK Jr. Strap in. Uh, So after announcing his campaign in April, Kennedy hit 20 points in an Emerson poll and has mostly stayed in double digits ever since then. He hasn't really built on that polling so far. He is running as a populist and is building his platform with claims to reveal hidden truths about the damage rich and powerful people and institutions, particularly the pharmaceutical industry, the government, the media, etc., are doing to average citizens and that he can bring the unaccountable to heal and increase trust through transparency. Kennedy's unproven and disproven claims that childhood vaccines caused autism and that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were helpful treatments to COVID have gotten him labeled as a conspiracy theorist. But I want to take a look at what's allowing him to continue holding in in double digits in some polls. Um, He's been highlighting the breakdown in trust in institutions, uh, the frustrations over COVID-19 policies, school closures in particular, um, which many... uh, Many Democrats off off mic will uh, will admit was a huge blunder, um, and some on mic. Uh, but it's not a it's it's a thing that's known. Vaccine mandates, objections to the decisions uh, social media companies made to remove content and questioned public health policies, and his uh, supporters are skeptical of approved experts, and they're saying they believe he's speaking to them honestly. He's also highlighting the strong ties between government regulators and healthcare and the companies they're supposed to be regulating. Uh, as one example, the former commissioner of the FDA, Scott Gottlieb, now works as a healthcare investor at a VC firm and, wait for it, sits on the board of Pfizer. So let's pause there for a minute. And, um, and I wonder what you all think about what these messages uh, are doing to help him reach voters. Zach, I want to start with you this time. Yeah, you know, I think it's a complicated thing to talk about because he's obviously not going to be the Democratic nominee, but he could have an outsized impact on this election. Um, you know, it's it, I think there are parallels to the Christie campaign in that he just he's not going to be the nominee, but he could absolutely damage the person who is the likeliest to be the nominee. And that's something that I, you know, I try and keep in mind. Um, you know, he is, depending on how you look at it, polling in either third or fourth of, out of all the candidates in both primaries, right? And why, why is that happening? How can that be? And the answer, again, I think is the Democratic Party has a problem with the messenger, right? There are a substantial amount of Democrats, no matter uh, who is running against Joe Biden, they just want somebody different. They want somebody younger. I think, you know, I don't think that he's serious. I don't think that he's an, a viable alternative or option, but people are looking at him um, and they're not all quacks. And I think a decent chunk of them are, uh, that are that are looking at it. And if you look at his advisors and the people that are around him, it's a real abattoir of fuckers. Like it's some of the craziest, wildest people that you can meet. Like Bannon loves him. You know, no offense to the all in guys, but those guys are all in on him. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird mix that's coming together. And there's something unusual and strange happening. He's going to have, I think, potentially some meaningful funding in this primary and he's not being taken seriously. You know, I think in the articles you sent out before this, Ron, they all highlight that 
the mainstream media, they, they love to talk about the guy, but they don't talk to him, right? And, that's, and that can feel like it's, you know, in, in, infantilizing to folks. It can feel like they're, they're, you know, not engaging with his ideas. And I understand the argument of don't give a quack a platform. I totally hear that. I think there, there's some truth in that. But I also think sunshine can be the des- best disinfectant. Um, and, I, and I think that it's worth engaging a little bit to, to kind of make it clear that some of his ideas are not mainstream democratic ideas. Some of the things that he's saying need to be refuted because he's got a platform, he's got an audience, and right now they're hearing from him and they're not hearing the alternative because folks are refusing to engage. Yeah, Liz, I, uh, I'm curious how you read his candidate. So you could dismiss Kennedy as uh, as a blip right now and say, well, it's super early and he's only getting this traction because A, his last name is Kennedy and B, he's, he's uh, you know, he's not Biden. Um, I think that would be um, naive to dismiss him in that way. And I wonder how you read this. Um, and then th- we'll get into some of the vaccine stuff in a minute later on, but um, on the, on the platforming question, Ross Douth at the New York Times wrote a pretty persuasive to me uh, argument that, you know, because there's been this hubbub on Twitter about, oh, you should go on Joe Rogan's podcast and debate this virologist about whatever, COVID. And it was like, no, never debate. A lot of people I follow and respect and I'm friends with, I was like, no, never debate a conspiracy theorist. And Ross Douth is saying, actually, here's the thing. A lot of people are confused and are looking for information. And if you don't uh, if you don't debate him, like you're doing them a disservice. And this stifling of debate, the stifling of conversation uh, is actually going to um, metastasize, is going to exacerbate the problem. Uh, and he says, yeah, go ahead and debate RFK Jr. So how, how do you read his candidacy in general, the traction that he's getting, and then maybe the question of um, how to take him, uh, whether to take him seriously and, and how? Yeah, Um I think we definitely have to take it seriously, right? Not because I believe that he will win the Democratic nomination for president of the United States, but because of what he is saying on the campaign trail. Those are only to be used as sound bites and clips and commercials from our side or the other side, um, you know, moving forward. I, I think back, and, and I know this is somewhat dissimilar, but bear with me while I while I make the comparison. I think back to when Bernie Sanders first decided to run and everybody was so gung-ho that it was Hillary's time and it was her time and she should be the only one running. And I know that was, you know, open seat. It's very different than obviously having a sitting president from your own party. But I bring that up because there was so much dialogue about, well, he will make her a stronger candidate. He will make her debate more and better and harder and have to articulate her opinions and all of that. I just don't see this being similar in the sense where the Biden team will use what RFK Jr. is saying on the trail as a foil to articulate his successes, his points, whatever he wants to do. And that's how they should be using him. And because they are not, that's why I think we have to look at this because total anecdote, um, I I was out for a hike and I'm uh, in, in Provo, Utah last weekend. And you know, walking up somebody else, because this is what you do in Utah, you make friends just by hiking next to them. And, you know, what do you do? Um, And so she said, well, what side do you work for? And I forgot that people kind of asked that question. It had been a while, especially in the state of Utah. Um, But, you know, when I said, I'm, you know, liberal, I'm more moderate, but I'm definitely a Democrat, you know, and she asked me, what do you think of this candidacy? And I gave a very vague answer because you don't know what the other person is thinking. Anyway, 
She, she basically said, I am so happy there is somebody right now on the campaign trail that is new, different, fresh, and saying the things that are not being said. And so this woman, I think, was a visiting Democrat from California. Um, I know very little about her, um, but I do know that this was, you know, this is an educated affluent woman from a democratic state saying, well, I'm actually interested in what the other guy is saying. And I don't know if after months and months of, of the campaign trail, if there will be any going backwards, you know, he already said, I don't know that I'll support, you know, the president. I mean, there are all of these things like, so there are people out there really latching on to what he is doing and saying. And because it, the administration is not taking it as a serious threat, and I understand that, but because they are not, he's just kind of an unknown threat that's out there right now. So I do think, long way of saying, I do think we definitely need to pay attention. Okay, Susan, I can't wait to hear what you think about all of this. And before we do, I want to play this exchange for you of uh, Kennedy speaking with Bill Maher on his stance about vaccines recently. Here's that clip. The question for your campaign is... I'm not talking about this stuff on my campaign. I'm just talking between well, you and me. That's a ridiculous assumption. Of course you're going to have to talk about you. Well, if somebody asks me, I'm going to. They're all going to ask you. Are you serious? <laughs> no, they this don't want to This is all they're it. going to ask you about. The, you think they're there for your friends who want to help you? They're, no, they're they, don't going, want it, they don't want to hear They me. want to go to the most vulnerable point, which is you're a coup no, that's, because you don't believe in vaccines. That's not I, me talking. I, no. I don't believe that, but that's what but they do will... But you believe I don't believe in vaccines? I, I believe you are more... Um, I just believe you, in science. I, I understand, but, but I, you know... Any, Show Bob, me the science. Bobby, this I, is the, yeah, but uh, let's not talk about, again, the science. That's the thing. That's the mistake they made. I believe in oh, science, too. Listen, listen, but, Bill, but just here's like what the, I mean. The I other mean, side of it. Well, let let we, me just say this. We have different... Every medicine is required to do placebo-controlled trials. That's what science is. You give you you give a, a group of people, a cohort of people, the the medicine, and then you give the a cohort, a similarly situated situated cohort of people, the placebo, and then you look at health outcomes over a, a four or five year period, because many of the impact of the outcomes are going to have long diagnostic horizons and long incubation periods, so you won't see them immediately. You need to do it. Anthony Fauci has said eight years for a vaccine. You need to watch them for a while. Those studies have ne the only medicine that never gets tested are vaccines. And that is what I object to. It's yes. not, I'm not I, saying the, you know, that. Not only the only one effective, it, all I'm saying is let's test them the way that we test other medications. That well, does not seem no, unreasonable. That is not unreasonable. Well, that's my position. Okay. So just to clean up a little bit, according to Wake Forest's School of Medicine, vaccines are typically tested using randomized double blind placebo controlled trials. Uh, according to Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, phase one vaccine trials last for about a year. Phase two trials take about two to three years. And then phase three trials take two to four years for a five to eight year period between phase one trials and a vaccine hitting the market in the normal course. Now, the COVID vaccines, as everyone knows, were accelerated, but that's a bit euphemistic when we say they were accelerated because for the COVID vaccine, those the three trial phases overlapped. And so they skipped the waiting time period between those phases and reduced the time it took to, to two years. So 
there's a hairball of information here, some of which is true, some of which is misleading. But the broader point, Susan, I think, is that people want to know, they want to hear, um, they, they want more transparency and accountability when it comes to public information, especially when it's been proven that some of that information was wrong in the first place. And I think that's part of the reason he's striking a nerve. But I'll zoom back out now, and I want to know what you think about his candidacy, why he's getting traction, and specifically about this exchange and maybe the media blackout there seems to be on talking to RFK Jr. instead of about him. Okay. So as everyone kind of said, his name is not Biden, and his name is Kennedy, and that helps him in the polls. Okay, great. But here's the thing, and listening to everyone speak, I thought Liz was going to say something different when she said, this reminds me back, because I'm going to say this reminds me way back when Donald Trump entered the scene. Yeah. When Donald Trump was able to enter and his numbers were lower than Kennedy's, true. Different situation, not a sitting president, as Liz mentioned. But there there is an audience for every conspiracy theory. And he is going in there. He is getting that momentum in a very scary place that works in silos. And we've talked about the dangers of these more as it relates to you know, January 6th and, and Donald Trump. But there, and what's worse about Kennedy is that he does the same thing as Donald Trump, in my opinion, by knocking down the institution instead of talking about the way you phrased it, Ron, about the problem. Transparency is an issue. Show, you know, make it more accessible to, you know, information more accessible to people. I'm all for that. Maybe, you know, there's a, there's a Doctors for Biden out there that has a website that puts like everything that we know out there just so they could be guided. I don't know. But I do know that Kennedy is very dangerous because he does have, a, you know, a very cult-like following on the vaccine, vaccine, vaccines rather. And, that's oh, that's been there all along. They were with him before he decided to run for president and before, before there was a primary. He just has that group and they are very dedicated. If you remember, Donald Trump even wanted to meet with him and it was it was too taboo for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is saying a lot. But again, I think it was more personal for Donald Trump, but because of, of what his family has has gone through. But I I can't believe that the Democrats aren't doing more to squash him. He needs to be squashed and he needs, and, and Zach's point, I love this. He said, they're willing to talk about him, but not to him. Mm-hmm. And the to him, I'm not for, but the way they talk about him, they need to be more responsible because they are spreading his conspiracy theories. And there are a large chunk of those people who are willing to go out and, and just his, I don't think his backing, by the way, is, is necessarily 20%. Like it's all Democrats. I think there are a lot of, you know, crazy, you know, Republicans and independents. These are called like following. And in oh, the yeah. surveys, it's, it's really about not Biden. Yeah. We've got some numbers on that. Yeah. It's really about Biden in these surveys. Um, we saw another recent survey out of Emerson that included Cornell West. Mm-hmm. In that case, Biden loses. Yeah. If he runs. So yeah. they need to really get Kennedy out because not that he'll necessarily be a third party, but he has a voice and we can't yeah. we, we we at the Lincoln Project know what three three to five percent of the vote means. <laughs> it's everything. 
<laughs> so if he, if he even has 1% saying like you can't trust either one of these, that's yeah. bad news. Yeah. You know, ahead, the, the thing that I want to say before his next part is like I worked on the President Obama's reelection in 2012. So I worked to help reelect Joe Biden as well. I worked the Lincoln Project in 2020 and, and to help Joe Biden. I love Joe Biden. I think he's had a pretty successful first term. But as I'm looking at this, I think to myself, if J.B. Pritzker and Gretchen Whitmer and Kamala and other options were running, I can't but help but imagine that he would be getting less traction, that he'd be getting fewer clicks, that he'd be getting less attention. And I think that, you know, look, the Democratic Party is partially responsible for this guy's rise. And to Susan's point, you're completely right. There is so much more that can and should be done to minimize him, to, to make an example, you know, to, to, to defeat him, to make sure he doesn't take off. And it feels like we are doing everything wrong. And it's incredibly frustrating to watch. I want to play one more one more thing, but it's Doug Sosnick, who was a um, uh, senior advisor to President Clinton, uh, long time, uh, just brilliant political strategist, uh, talking with Bill Kristol. Uh, I think it was last week um, on on the on the broader theme here, which is this anti elite sentiment. And I want to play this and, and get you guys to react to it. And the last thing I'll say, which is I think of particular danger to Democrats. Uh, is the Democratic Party is becoming a party of the educated uh, and and blacks, uh, some extent minorities, but that's changing with more Hispanics and Asians. I think voting uh, based on on uh, educational levels uh, for Republicans. But you know, one of the problems that uh, Democrats have in getting voters in the country, and it's just like the language that Democrats use, like flyover parts of the country, which is a pejorative term. And, and we as Democrats will never get the voters in these areas uh, if they think we're looking down on them, if, we, if they think we're looking down on their choices of entertainment, if they're looking down. Uh, uh, frankly, you've got to figure out, Democrats have to figure out the fact, you know, 75 million people that voted for Trump. I mean, they're not all idiots. They're not all morons. Um, if you want to treat them as idiots and treat them as morons, there's a pretty good chance they'll never get their vote. Now, there are a lot of really sketchy people who voted for Trump, and they're ungettable, and Democrats have no shot and shouldn't, shouldn't try to. But, there, but this education, being captive to a party driven by the educated elites is a very dangerous thing for the Democratic Party going forward if we want to be a majority party. Zach, how do you, how do you read that? And I'm just really, there's no specific question on the table here, but th- I when I listened to that, I was immediately thinking about RFK Jr. and the way he is getting traction uh, um, running against institutions and against the elites and the powerful. Uh, and it obviously very similar lines to Trump. But um, And Susan, as you, as you noted, uh, he is increasing his support among Republicans just in their, in their June polling. The number among Democrats fell to plus seven. It was at, it was at 20 and uh, jumped to plus 29 among Republicans. So he's increasing his support among Republicans. But, but the broader theme here is there's an, there is growing anti-elite sentiment across the country, and RFK is tapping into that. And I wonder how you see the li- that liability for Democrats if, the, if it's not addressed and how they should address it. I guess that's the question on the table, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we we have become more of the party of elites over the last several years and, and maybe several cycles. And I don't think that we've really had a reckoning with what that means. And if, if that's where we want to go as a party and if that's good for the party, um, I also think we leave a ton of votes on the table. You know, when I think about the group that Democrats do the worst with, non-college men, 
Um, I don't see an effective and concerted effort to, to bring some of them back into the fold and to the point that, you know, there might be some that are ungettable. There absolutely are, but there are some who are gettable. And, and I'm, and I think I, you know, we, we, we make this effort to, 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 you know, to turn out our voters. We make this effort to reach out to folks that don't vote. And yet we leave votes on the table with some groups. And I don't really understand the why other than I think we're not comfortable communicating to them right now um, because we believe that our message will not be received. But I think that if we change our messaging a little bit on some of this, there are people who could vote Democrat and would vote Democrat if we spent a little more time trying to figure out how to talk to them. I, yeah, I think also it's just, Zach, I agree with you, but unfortunately it's also just math. And like politics has become so much about math, right? So like you join a campaign and it's, what's your win number? What's your vote total? If you, you know, people look at campaigns and like, okay, if you want to become governor in this state, you only have to win these two cities and that works. And then you only focus on those cities. So like, Zach, I totally agree with you. There are so many people the Democrats aren't talking to, which is why this like entrance of this new, fresh, you know, in my own opinion, in, insane voice is speaking to people because they don't feel like they're being spoken to. But like I mentioned, this, you know, affluent white woman from California who I met in Provo, Utah, you know, no one is talking to her because no one cares about white affluent women in California right now as it relates to federal, um, in the federal elections. Right. So like Biden is not speaking to her. And, yeah. you know, so anyway. To that point, I just want to underscore Liz's point about numbers and then and then go, Susan. But uh, but later on in that conversation, Sostik made a very similar point, which was, you know, the presidential election is going to come down to at most eight states, something we all already know. But here's the, here's the really stunning statistic. Those eight states represent 19% of the American population, which means that 81% of Americans are going to vote and it's going to have zero impact on who's the next That's president. Right. That's ahead, right. It's so okay, sad. but don't say that because we need people to come out no, to of vote. Course, like, they, we want them look, to vote, so let's just make that clear. <laughs> 100% we want everybody to vote, but let's be honest, if we're talking about math, it does come down to math and math drives strategy and that's the reality. And, and I'll throw out a few more numbers for you because this is now a math show. Um, no, <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, Zach and Liz make great points, but the Democrats have to live with what they're facing literally right now because they do have, I know everyone's going to kill me for saying this, they have a weak candidate in Joe Biden. They just do. He is, I don't think he was ever planned to run for the reelection. Things just went the way they did, but he is a weak candidate. With that, let's look at what happened in 2022. I'm going to refer to two states. One is New York. New York is overwhelmingly blue. As a matter of fact, there's more non-affiliated voters than Republican voters in New York for the first time in, was in the last cycle. Kathy Hochul won her race by six points. Everyone said, Oh my God, it's close. They saw the polling. They gave Lee Zeldin gazillions of dollars. So it looks like it got really close because of all the support that came in. The candidate against Letitia James, Tish James beat by eight points and he didn't have bus fare. That's a turnout problem. That was a New York City specific turnout problem. They didn't turn on the machine. Kathy Hochul doesn't have a really good political operation because of how she came in. Tish James AG. We should be. Yeah. And it, so, all right. So that's one example of, of like Democrats need to realize they have to wake people up. But let's look at Florida. Florida, DeSantis, big win, big win. DeSantis got a few more votes and proportionally to the new registration in his state on the Republican side. 
The problem was, is the Democrat got 900,000 fewer votes than the predecessor in 2018. The difference in turnout was in 2018, it was 62%. Okay. And it was a half point race. Now in 2022, the turnout was 52%. And we know where it was from. It was from the Democratic side. That's where it fell off a cliff. And it was a 19 point race. So if we want to talk about math, and, and, and I agree, Zach, I, I think, you know, as someone, as a Republican, still a Republican, I would say like, yeah, you guys leave votes on the table all the time. That's how Republicans have won in more statewide off, um, offices, because that's, that was their plan, like to get those Democrats whose votes were on the table, frankly, that the Democrats, you know, that we were worried you guys were going to take. But Boy, if they don't, if the Democrats don't address the turnout in those issues, in those eight states, they have a problem. The solution, potentially, again, not to drum this home, is a, a woman's right to choose abortion. Because look what happened in Wisconsin. They blew it out of the water on a judicial yeah. race. Yeah, so true. So it works. That's how you get turnout. And that's what Joe Biden needs. He's not going to get it on his personality. He's got to get people motivated and scared and frankly, do what the Republicans did with they're going to take your guns. Just ha- like they, they are, they are taking away your choice of health care. Oh, and by the way, remember when they said they weren't going to take away your birth control? Have you seen the lawsuits lately? Mm-hmm. I would just scare the hell out of America. And this has not just been is a woman's issue. I say this because yeah. more and more men, especially younger men, are more astute of it and, and than they ever were, especially in my generation. So, I, Susan, I just want to reflect back something you just said is like, I would scare the hell out of them. It's so not the democratic strategy to do that, which is, which is why, which is why. You know, like the whole Obama mentality is was such an anomaly and also such lightning in a bottle. Like when they go low, we go high, you know, hope, faith, you know, all these things. But like, that's not what makes the Republican Party successful. It's fear. It's it's you have to bring it to people and show them they're trying to take away this. They're, you know, like you miss this thing. It's because of that policy. Like it's a lot of tying together, scary rhetoric, fear, you know, making people fearful. And that is such an effective voter turnout strategy. And the Democrats just, they don't nail it. Especially when you have a weak candidate. Obama never had a problem with his base in the same way. There was other issues, but he's a once in a lifetime, you know, I think kind of inspirational president. I mean, even if you disagree with the policies, you're just in awe listening to him speak because it's so good. Biden, not so much. I think, unfortunately, we're all in agreement that that Biden is a, at best weak, if not you know, a weak and flawed candidate right now. I think relevant thing to bring up, though, compared to Trump, maybe he's yeah. not so weak, you know. And I think that's where I can't understand. I can't understand the Republican Party at all, though, because it's like, guys, if you nominate a normal Republican, like it's not gonna, it wouldn't be that close. Um, but Trump, you know, can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory like nobody else. Uh, and and I think that's sort of you know, that's the state of the modern Republican Party. Yeah, and also we should just be clear. Like we are very much talking about this racist strategist right now, and I like I just want to be clear to our listeners: we're not shitting on Biden because we don't like him. <laughs> it's like because we don't want Trump to win here. 
because uh, I can hear people shaking their fists already. But like, this is just the reality of electoral politics, especially going back. Right, we all like, want to see Biden. Yeah. In fact, right. including <laughs> Republicans, we want Biden to be clear. reelected, yeah. and yeah. that's why we're saying this. Yeah. And it's something that we talked about earlier in this episode, and I feel like we, you know, talk about here all the time is like, I believe that Biden is a good president and I believe that history will be kind to him. It is very different as a candidate. It is very, very different when you are out there and you are running and you have to do the rallies and get on the plane and, you know, be articulate and not, you know, all of these things. It's just very different than pointing to his policies, which I think the campaign is really going to rely on. And yeah. I, I don't think, I know this is what the campaign is going to rely on, is pointing to the successes and saying, we have the amazing story. That's our campaign. We got this. And that's not enough. And I think that's where we all you know, vehemently agree. I just want to briefly tie together the first two segments here, first Bidenomics and then the distrustness, the RFK stuff. And I wonder, um, maybe there's no answer to this, but I just wonder what would make the Biden team think about, you know, middle out, bottom up, high paying, no college degree jobs and not address the distrust in institutions among exactly the same group of people. It's a great point. They should. I mean, the thing and the knock against Donald Trump is what he's done, for example, with law enforcement. It's all a hoax. It's a rigged system or a judicial system. Like that's what Donald Trump does is knock down the institutions. Biden would be much more successful and inspirational if he built up our institutions. All right. Let's talk about... uh, Electing idiots on Monday. <laughs> Speaking of Trump. Speaking of Trump. <laughs> on Monday, Liz Cheney was asked if she would run for president if polls showed it would hurt Donald Trump. And here's how she responded. Done in our politics is create a situation where we're electing idiots. <laughs> and... Um, And so I I don't look at it through the lens of like, you know, is this what I should do or what I shouldn't do? I look at it through the lens of how do we elect serious people? And I think electing serious people can't be partisan. Zach, are we electing idiots? How how well do you think she captured the state of our politics? You know, I, I might, this might be controversial. I actually think she's letting a lot of people off the hook. I think that we absolutely are electing oh, some idiots. I love that. I think I love that. that. <laughs> I think we, we absolutely are electing some idiots. Um, and I think that's been a through line in American history. We always do. When you have that many elected officials, you're always going to elect some dummies. But there's also, and the people that I'm really frightened of are the ones who are not idiots, but behave like they are or you know, create policies like they are. The Josh Hollies of the world, the Ted Cruz of the world, they are not dumb people. They are smart, they are organized, and they are ambitious, and they are willing to compromise themselves in ways that are really, really frightening to me and I think should be frightening to everybody. And so, yes, you know, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I don't know that they're, they're going to win a spelling bee or anything, but, uh, you know, they are, they are a symptom of the problem. But to me, that's not the biggest problem. It's the smart people who are, you know, debasing themselves for political gain. So un- some of this unseriousness obviously has been apparent in the House uh, over the last few weeks. Last week, Lauren Boebert introduced... Uh, and articles of impeachment resolution, uh, citing, quote, dereliction of duty and, quote, abuse of power in an attempt to impeach Joe Biden over his handling of the U.S.-Mexico border. 
she bypassed the traditional legislative process and fast-tracked the bill directly to the House floor, which is a maneuver that can be done. Um, it's very, very rarely used, but it also required lawmakers to vote on the measure within two days. Speaker McCarthy was able to negotiate within his conference to refer the impeachment to a pair of committees, uh, Judiciary and Homeland Security. And it was unlikely that the resolution would pass. Bobert blindsided the leadership and the rest of the conference when she introduced the resolution and uh, and drew a lot of um, anger from other Republicans. Uh, it even resulted in an argument between her and Marjorie Taylor Greene on the House floor. Uh, and uh, yeah, how does this help, Bobert, Susan? Well, I mean, it gets, we're talking about her. That's what, she, that's what mm. the two of them, the reason why they do what they do. So they get some action out there and raise some money, raise their profile. I don't know, get a podcast somewhere, look for the future Fox deal. I don't know what. But the thing that is really concerning, talking about electing idiots, is the fact that the House of Representatives under uh, Kevin McCarthy is allowing George Santos to be there. A fraud, a liar. I mean, there is nothing. It's not even hot rhetoric that he spews, which he does do, by the way. It's everything that, you know, how he came in and he's under indictment. And because there's only a four point, uh, sorry, not four point, four member um, majority, it's, it's like they let anyone in this place, if you know what I mean, just to keep the power. Years ago, Santos would have been expelled from the house. There's no doubt about it. They would not have they would not have accepted it. But the quality of our legislators have has definitely gone downhill and people are okay with it when I say people, the power of both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party as long as they can keep their seats because yeah. it is so divided. Yeah. I mean, the bigger question here is what this shows about McCarthy's ability to control control his own conference, right? Which well, just he seems- did a great. Uh, in all fairness, he did a really surprisingly good job when he had to negotiate with Biden. When it came yes. down, to- yeah, yeah, but all this stuff him- that we're seeing now is retribution because they're mad at him. Exactly. So, is if you're McCarthy, would you rather have like keep the government? And, and, and keep paying our bills, if you will, and not create a, fiat, a, a financial chaos? Or would you rather have to deal with some of this nonsense, which is annoying, but I'll put up with it because we pay, we, we raise the debt ceiling. Yeah. That's his, that now I don't give, it's not like I'm saying give him credit per se, but you can't say he's not managing the conference when they, they went through on the debt ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Liz? Yeah, I I was just going to say, there was an article um, my mom sent me this morning. It was from yesterday's New York Times. It was was an opinion essay that was titled, This is Why Trump Lies Like There Is No Tomorrow. Mm. And it's a really interesting article that talks about um, you know, how lying is a feature, not a bug of Trump's campaign and presidency. And it goes into why I found this article so interesting is it goes into like the psychology of why people are okay and honestly flock to liars and cheaters and thieves. And Ooh. it's it's crazy. And it talks about, um, it, it references a 2017 scientific American article that says, when we divide people into groups, we open the door to competition, dehumanization, violence, and socially sanctioned deceit. And I read that and I was like, 
holy shit, like I need to read. I like the psychology of these voters is so interesting to me. I mean, my like bio line on my Instagram page is that I'm waiting for Marjorie Taylor Greene to break character. And that's because I just like look at these people as caricatures of what the current political scenario is saying, like someone had to actively decide to take on a persona. No one is born like that. I don't believe. I have to believe. But because of it could be upbringing, schooling, I mean, my background in elementary ed, you can talk about all the different factors that impact, you know, cognition and development. That's why you're so good with politicians, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. You were trained in it. Susan, it's it's amazing. I'm a a certified middle school teacher and people said, you you did that and you didn't end up in a classroom. I said, honestly, it gave me the best skill set to work in politics is to learn if you can manage a sixth grade classroom, you can can join a campaign and, and manage um, somebody running, running for office. But you can talk about, no, you can talk about all of these different factors that impact, you know, the way that people think and feel and speak and present themselves in society. But what I found so interesting about this article is that people know he is lying and they are okay with it. So when Liz Cheney says we are electing idiots, to Zach's point, it's not just idiots. I mean, these people, many of them are total sociopaths. And I think the people who vote for them, not all, certainly, but many know that and still are okay with it because of this weird psychology kind of upbringing that allows people to be okay with it, which I don't understand. Liz, you're so right, because there was one thing that stood out to me during the 2016 election when Donald Trump said, we'll build the wall and Mexico will pay for it. And you saw interviews of people in the crowd supporting what he's saying. And they said, you know, there's no way to make Mexico pay for it. They're like, yeah, we know that he's making that up, but we don't care because right, we want right. someone. We want someone talking about building a wall. That's all they wanted. They wanted the the idea. They don't care that they're lying. Who's going to pay for it? But I, I found that to this day, it's the one thing I can't. I have a problem reconciling in my head. Is how can you sit there and know what the person is campaigning on as a policy and lying about it? And you're and you're cheering for him. You know, there's there's an article a while back, and I think it was in the Atlantic about how Trump is pure self indulgence. And hearing you say that, Susan, it totally jogged my memory because that's what it is. It's what if you never had to be challenged? What if you got to hear exactly what you wanted to hear? Doesn't matter; it's not true. You're just totally affirmed at every step of the way, uh, and, and it's intoxicating and it's compelling to people, and it, and it makes me sad that shamelessness has become a superpower and that people want to just be told exactly what they want to hear and don't want to be pushed. Um, but that's what that, that to me is, is, is what I, what I see there. Afraid y'all you've, uh, you've said bloody Mary in the mirror three times and summoned the orange man himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Are there any other recordings that we should be concerned of? Uh, I don't know of any recordings that you should be re, uh, concerned with because I don't do things wrong. I do things right. I'm a legitimate person. You're not concerned then with your own voice on those on those recordings. My voice was fine. What did I say wrong on those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. All I know is I did nothing wrong. We had a lot of papers, a lot of papers stacked up. In fact, you could hear the rustle of the paper, and nobody said I did anything wrong, other than the fake news, which of course is Fox too. Yeah. Trump is legitimate and I'm as tall as Ron. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now that we are up to speed on some of the biggest stories this week, uh, let's talk about what we're watching. 
Susan, you want to lead off? Sure. And it kind of has to do with the orange man himself. Oh. Um, you know, there was an article, it came out yesterday that Rudy Giuliani spoke to Jack Smith on, on, for the January 6th investigation. And he didn't fight it. There, he, he just went in. And I can't help but think, and I'm not saying I know anything because I did use, you know, when Rudy was saying in the 90s, I did work for him. I don't know anything extra special but or insider. But I can't help to think that whether it's Rudy or Mark Meadows, some people are making deals as we speak. And I'm watching as that investigation comes out, who's made a deal? Because there are going to, I'm looking, there's going to be top line names, especially because of Georgia. And there will be a link between the two and there will be deals made. And you, you want to go in for Queen for a Day, which is when you tell the, the federal government like everything you've ever done wrong. because if you did, you don't tell them everything. You don't get the part of, or the, the um, you don't get a d- the deal. And I just can't help but think, like, boy, if anyone has you know Queen for a day ready for them, it's Rudy Giuliani. But it's also others. So I'm looking in the next two weeks for a lot of um, deals to be made. That's a good one, Liz. What'd you bring? Um, so just happened this morning. So definitely developing and something that. I'm sure we'll all be looking at is that the Supreme Court struck down um, the affirmative action plans that they came out um, with that kind of just before we started recording. And, you know, I wonder if that in any way, bringing it back to some of the stuff we talked about is going to be um, at all like a row in terms of issues for this campaign. You know, the court, it's Obviously, I think people understand the makeup of the court. Um, you know that that elections matter when it comes to the Supreme Court, right? And so, I don't know if there will be a full fledged kind of campaign during this election cycle of like look at all of look at all of these votes, look at all these decisions. You know, this is something that is happening because we need to mobilize. We need to, you know, I, I'm just I'm curious to see how it will be spun into campaign speak, if at all. Um, but I think people were kind of expecting this, but to see it in writing, um, and then to see the, you know, the scathing dissent from Sotomayor, I mean, it's really powerful. It's really important. Um, and, and for me though, what I will be watching is how it will be used or not used, um, you know, as, as kind of another campaign chit this cycle. I hadn't even seen it because we were prepping to record. So I, I yeah. didn't go read this since we're yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach, what do you got? Yeah, really undercovered story. I don't know if y'all saw this, but uh, there was a submarine that went to check out the Titanic. Uh, and that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding. That's the most overcovered story in the history of overcovered stories. I think for me, uh, all eyes on Russia. Uh, you know, just just continuing um, to kind of monitor yes. what's happening there. I, I don't yep. fully understand it. And I'm not sure that anybody could know at this point. But clearly, significant developments are happening in Russia. What are the implications? I don't think I know. I don't, I'm not sure that anybody does. Um, but absolutely fascinating stuff there. And I don't know what's next for Prigozhin. I don't know what's next for Putin. Yeah. I don't know what's next for the Wagner Group. I don't know what's next for Lukashenko. Uh, but it is a fascinating, fascinating series of developments. It is indeed. And those are two stories that are very much on the radar that we'll be doing stuff on uh, very soon. I did a, I did a quick call with um, our friend Molly McHugh um, last last weekend just to like really quickly get something out because and help us make sense of it. And it was even evolving rapidly at that point. And now uh, there's a lot of, a lot of hot takes out there. So 
All right, uh, gang, before we flip over to Politicology Plus, uh, we're going to talk about this new Canadian law requiring social media companies to pay news organizations for their journalism uh, on the platform, which is now being considered by um, the U.S. Congress. Where can everybody find you on the internet, Zach? Uh, everybody can find me on uh, Twitter at, at Zach CZ. Zach is spelled the correct way, Z-A-C-K. It's not Zach, <laughs> it is Zach, at Zach CZ. Uh, follow me. Uh, and if you want to run for office, my DMs are open. Shoot me a note. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. Zach is, uh, has just launched his own consulting firm, and we're very proud of him. Thank you, Ron. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay. Amazing. I'm just, I'm just trying to follow in y'all's footsteps. I mean, y'all did it right. I'm trying to catch up over here. It's amazing, Zach. Congrats. Very exciting. Liz, where can everybody find you? I am off Twitter and you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm on Instagram at Liz Gilbert Cohen. Amazing. Susan. I'm on, still on Twitter at Del Percio S. And I am still occasionally on Twitter, but mostly just answering DMs occasionally at Ron Steslow. Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. If you haven't yet, we'd appreciate it if you could open up the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five-star rating and review over there. This helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or just a simple note about how the show has impacted you. And we love hearing from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.